Hi, welcome to Tube to Table, the podcast about helping tube-fed kids become happy and healthy eaters. Every week, we will dive into the basics of tube weaning to help unravel the conflicting information families get from doctors, therapists, friends, and family. I'm Jenny, a feeding therapist, mom, and food lover. And I'm Heidi. I'm also a feeding therapist, and I love sharing meals with friends and family and helping kids learn to eat. Come with us as we share practical tips and provide real-world expert advice so that parents can help their little ones start their journey from feeding tube to family table. Hello, and welcome to the Tube to Table podcast. In this week's episode, The Lowdown on Liquids, we're going to be talking about liquids and how they play into weaning your child from a feeding tube. I'm Jenny, and I'm very happy to be back after a short absence, and I'm joined, as always, by my colleague, Heidi. Hi there, Heidi. How are you? Hey. Hey, Jenny. Welcome back. We missed you. Oh, I it's missed you guys, you. too. Yes, we were traveling. Um, we, we had the flu, uh, all of us, which was awful. And then we traveled internationally, um, which we do a couple times a year, back and forth. And it was a wild time. So I'm so glad to be back. <laughs> and healthy. <laughs> and healthy. Everything's calmed down. and, and a terrible healthy. time of year for that. I know. And, you know, I haven't, I've only had the flu once in my life. But to have, it's just so awful. And then just the whole family just, it was really wild. But we are better <laughs> and grateful for that. So um, it kind of, there's a kind of a normal segue there, like liquids kind of tend yeah. to be such an essential part of our overall health. We know that when we're sick, <laughs> that we have to stay, right. what we have to work to stay hydrated. And we also know as clinicians, Heidi and I, from weaning that one of the most important elements of keeping a child safe, if not the most important element in the, in the thick of it is keeping a child well hydrated. And um, so we just thought we would start there for a little bit. You know, what we do at Thrive by Spectrum Pediatrics is we work with a pediatrician or whoever the specialist is, um, but it has to be a, a physician to determine parameters. And our hydration parameter is one of them. And some physicians want a certain number of mLs or ounces. Some physicians, um, based on the child's medical condition, really insist on a certain number of wet diapers or a certain amount of you're an output if a child is older. Um, but the reason that that is always on our list of parameters is because it's key. And we know that children are um, in more danger if they become dehydrated, whereas they have a little bit more of a tolerance of having less nutrition, um, you know, over a little bit of short time. We're not suggesting you go wild and cut them and leave them low for a long time. But there's kind of a delayed reaction. You have a little wiggle room with nutrition and cutting calories or, or overall volume than you do with hydration. Hydration causes more immediate um, medical concerns if a child should not be hydrated. And so that's one of the reasons that we like um, to talk also, about it. It also not even in addition to the medical concerns, it's more impacting to their overall well-being, energy level, totally. ability to rise to the occasion to do hard things. Like wean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Like wean, like learn new skills, like participate in life. And we all know that from our own selves totally. as well, that that hydration makes a difference in how you feel. And it's quick. Being dehydrated or being underhydrated feels literally like wilting sometimes. Mm-hmm. And we can't expect a kid that's feeling wilted to do the hardest things that they have had to do in a while, like learning to eat when they're too dependent. And so, yeah, that's so true. It it does have such a big impact. So our recommendation from the hydration standpoint is that you have a healthy, 
collaborative conversation with your medical team, which we know isn't always easy, but there's we have an episode previously about how to build consensus with your team um, and create some really strong um, parameters so that you know um, how to keep your kids safe while you're doing this. And then, I, go ahead. I was just going to say, when you talk about parameters, our preference is physiological parameters over numbers yes. just because of the variation between kids that we would rather say, here's the things to look for. And I think we found poop, mm-hmm. you know, um, regular poops being part of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, that those physiological parameters are more useful than just a number. Yes. Peeing. From a chart. Is a child peeing enough? Are they pooping enough? Um, or is their poop soft enough? Um, and then, you know, the kind of more behavioral ones, like, uh, are they, lethar- you know, we certainly don't want kids being lethargic during this process. And um, yeah, that's true. Whereas the numbers sometimes, when you're looking at numbers, like we've talked about in so many contexts in this podcast, that's true, Heidi, like the numbers tend to get people lost a little bit. We stop looking at the child and start looking at the chart. Um, yeah, and we typically, the most frequent ones are a number of diapers, saliva, tears, <laughs> skin turgor. Those are, those are, um, those are the elasticity of the skin. Those are things that, um, you can have conversations about. And again, it gets back to like looking at the whole child and, you know, I know we had Dr. Um, Katja Rowell on and she talked about the same principle when it comes to weight being, you're looking at the state of the child, not the weight. Even with hydration, we want to keep looking at their state, um, not just numbers. It's not that numbers are never important, but <clears throat> it can be really helpful to keep that in mind in your discussion. How would you know if you weren't measuring for a kid that doesn't have a tube? How would a doctor know? How would a parent know that their child is well hydrated? Those are probably going to lead you to the right parameters, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I would think so. I, I think the one exception I can think of is when there's kids with kidney problems Mm -hmm. they might have different parameters but that's again why you pull in a doctor for sure because they know what those are i think kidney stuff it's worth having an extra conversation um cardiac stuff and then anything any child that's on really strong medications that have a risk of impacting um their health if they're not taken with a lot of hydration those are extra conversations to to be had in addition to the normal parameter discussion so um, now that we've kind of talked about the base, the most basic element of liquid, which is keeping your child well hydrated. Um, and just a quick note on that clinically, um, we were going to do this later, but it seems to fit here. We, Heidi and I, in our program, when we step back and look at um, it, the impact of keeping a child hydrated by tube while you're weaning them, we were surprised initially, although uh, we're really used to it now, to see that keeping a child well hydrated while cutting their nutrition and working responsively on helping them learn to eat, building their relationship with food and oral eating, keeping them well hydrated doesn't have much of a negative impact on their ability to learn to eat. We used to think, um, and I know that a lot of programs think that the more well hydrated you keep a child, the less interested they're going to be in eating. And we don't see that very much at all. In fact, we, we see the opposite. <laughs> yeah, we've tried, we played with it for a little while early on in the program and we really did initially keep kids pretty low mm-hmm. and that made everybody anxious. It made the kids less able to respond. It was just, it made it much more stressful. So we started experimenting a little bit because the thing about hydration is you can, it changes 
quickly. quickly. So you can add it. And if you feel like you've added too much, you just have to wait a little longer and then you're back. You know, it's just a little more variable and it doesn't seem to um, take as long. Mm -hmm. So what we realized is that when we thought we were doing too much, it actually had a better response from the kids. We had better participation from the kids when we were keeping it higher than when we were keeping their hydration lower. We were a little surprised. We kept trying it and saying, did that happen again? It sure did. Yeah. Yeah. That's that wilted syndrome, I think, Uh again. You know, too low is too low. Um, And kids' bodies know what to do. And we know how important hydration is. And obviously, so do their bodies. You know, they they do better when they're in that safe Mm -hmm. place. Um, so the, uh, you know, the response then too, if you're too low with hydration, it's harder to wait and harder to be responsive because as a parent and a caregiver, uh, it's hard and concerning to see a child wilting. And so you work harder to get them to drink something and that creates a negative, yeah, negative impact on everything. And it can undo some of the good stuff you've already done because of the for real anxiety that comes from having a child who looks wilted yeah and for lack of a better well, word. yeah any pressure like there's pressure that we can't get rid of right feeding kids is hard but um but any pressure that's above and beyond it does tend to you know we all don't do our best when we're under the max amount of pressure and when it comes to hydration and sick kids like there's nothing more stressful than really being worried about your child's well-being and so taking mm-hmm. that element out of it I love that's so true I hadn't really thought about that Heidi it reduces the risk of parents reverting to kind of non-responsive feeding techniques. It's so true. Um, so the, the other piece of, li- the other thing about liquids that we thought we would just talk a little bit about today is why they're so darn hard sometimes for kids to get the hang of. And um, a lot of parents share with us, plus in our clinical work, we see that liquids often are harder to like get over that hump where your kids are accepting liquids orally in quantities that are large enough um, that that tends to come second a lot of the time, not always, but a lot of the time. And we, um, we know why that that's the case, but we, it helps, I think, as you're preparing to wean your own child to think about some of the reasons. One of them is, is reflux or vomiting. You know, if your child has had any, negative experiences with reflux or vomiting before, during, or, you know, while you're planting the wean, all of that liquid, it's so much easier to slosh up through the esophagus, out of the mouth, um, liquid. And and then they taste some of that stuff, which often it was the formula or the milk or the liquid that you were trying to do. You can taste stuff when you reflux it or vomit it. And so um, then that gets associated with those negative things or with protecting yourself from those negative things. So it makes sense that kids are less willing to take their foot off the brake pedal when it comes to liquids if they've had that history. That's one of the big ones. And then Heidi, I know there's another kind of safety one as, it, as it's related to um, liquids. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, one of the things kids are most likely to aspirate is liquids. They're faster. They're harder to control in your mouth. Gravity has a greater impact on them. Um, so they, for any kids who've had past experience with aspiration, it's, it's likely to have been a liquid partly because that's what kids get when they're little, mm-hmm. you know, they're all liquid that they're getting. So there's that just frequency risk, but on top of it, there's just the oral control. If you think about 
holding a cup of pudding in your hand in the car and a cup of water in your hand in the car, which one is more likely to lose control? And it's the same Mm -hmm. in your mouth. Something's going to run back before you're ready. It's going to be the thinner liquids. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're they're faster, they're harder to control. Yeah. And when you're like learning anything, you're not as adept at controlling um, that skill, those skills in the mouth or even further back. When even we know about babies when they're first born, they're actually extra protected from their position in that little flexion position. They're extra protected from aspiration, but they outgrow that pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So they, um, you know, even the way we're wired and the way we're positioned indicates that, you know, it's, it's going to be more difficult in kiddos are going to need a little bit more protection. Yeah. So there's these two elements there. There's the like perceived safety, which is like, ah, that, that went too fast. I, I don't know what was coming. Slosh way back. That putting water example is a great one. And then the other element of real true aspiration or, um, you know, swallowing risk um, or risk of aspiration. A child who has experienced those things and really understood what that feeling is like are going to avoid it, obviously, if they if they can. And then there's the whole practical piece of weaning. And this is probably worth a whole nother podcast. And I actually have a blog post in process about this as well. Is kids who are weaning are almost every one of them super independent. Yeah. They all want to do it themselves. But they also want to do what you're doing. So they gravitate towards big people cups and open cups. And that's hard to learn. It is. And if they didn't bottle drink the sippy cup, they can't figure out. And the straw is a whole different deal. Some kids learn quickly. Some kids take forever. But the independent piece of drinking is trickier. You can pick up a cookie a whole lot easier than you can pick up and drink from a cup of water without overdoing it or spilling it down your front or taking too much. And that independent piece just plays against liquids being easy. Yeah, because allowing kids to feel independent and ex- experience that for the first time around food and liquids is part of what makes them learn how to self-regulate, feel safe and comfortable. That independence, which may be frustrating in the beginning when they're not very good at it to watch because you know you could help them. It's It helps. It's important. It's key. It's really essential to them feeling safe. And of course, they can't be um, in the beginning with those things. They're harder. Um, And that kind of leads us into like the third thing that can cause a child not to want to budge on their oral intake of liquids, which is this underlying thing that we talk about all the time, which is their associations, the previous associations that they've had with it. And so in addition to the reflux and vomiting negative associations, I'm talking about feeding attempts and uh, often for many of our kids that come through our program, and I'm guessing for many of our listeners, kids that have tried to, parents that have worked really hard to either try to avoid a tube or to try to get their kids off a tube or gain weight properly or whatever the case may be, often we all are at risk of employing strategies that are not ideal and that erode a child's relationship with food or in this case drink in instead of you know, building it up. And so I'll give you a couple of examples. Your doctor sends you home and says they're not gaining enough weight. They don't know their tube yet. They need to gain more weight. So you try, you hold the bottle in their mouth when it's clear that they don't want it. And you hold it there an extra second or two. Or in an example of a child that has only a tube and is taking nothing by mouth, um, you are more likely to 
kind of push, push a little bit or pressure gently or therapies. There's tons of therapies out there where people aren't respecting a child's cues or feel or um, a child saying no. And just because of age and developmental history, a lot of the, for a very long time, all kids are offered our liquids. So a lot of that early learning, just from that standpoint, that early negative learning about responsive feeding, not only because of the medical vomiting or reflux, but also because of those experiences tend to be negative. And while kids may not be able to make that like, you know, clear cognitive connection in the way that we can, they children do know how to protect themselves and we want them to be able to protect themselves. So it follows that they're going to say, Hey, no way, or do that thing that scared them the most or that had the most negative consequences uh, for last. And that's why we see a lot of kids, especially young kids who've never tried purees or solids, um, do really well on those and then have to work a little bit and get, have a little bit more time coming around to the liquids. That's very, very normal. And just little FYI, if your kid's doing the opposite, it's okay too. (laughs) This is a very common thing that we see, but we also see the opposite sometimes. That doesn't mean your kid's doing anything wrong or you. We do tend to see kids pick one thing, yes, whatever that one thing is. And some kids have, for whatever reason, liquids were the easiest because that's what, you know, they started taking out of their mom's cup or, you know, whatever the associations were, whatever their interest is, the importance of being responsive is following their interest and then supporting them in that. So if your kiddo felt like liquids, I mean, once you understand it, in some ways, it's actually easier than chewing, easier than moving purees. They all have pros and cons. And if your child has decided that liquid is the thing, great. Yeah. You know, there's, there's not a wrong way to follow your child's interests Mm -hmm. unless you're keeping them unsafe, obviously, but yeah, for sure. So, you know, as you're, as you're kind of plotting your course and working with your medical team to determine safety and consider the plan, you're going to want to think about those three elements of why kids tend to refuse liquids safety and aspiration risk, reflux and vomiting, and then other negative associations that are not the reflux and vomiting, like non-responsive feeding strategies, pressure, that type of stuff. Um, And the reason you want to do that is you want to give them a break from all of that stuff. You want to make sure reflux and vomiting are controlled to the extent that they can be. You want to make sure that they're safe from a swallowing standpoint. and And then you also want to make sure that they've had a break from any negative experiences. They've had a chance to rest without pressure, without non-responsive feeding strategies. And then you get your parameters with your medical team and get started um, creating a plan with them. So Heidi, you mentioned your blog post, which we're um, hopefully going to be doing an episode here on Tube to Table with. So stay tuned soon for an episode on drinking, um, not just the importance of liquids and why kids have trouble with liquids, but like how drinking um, plays out during a wean and some considerations that you can do to help your child learn to drink um, in the easiest way possible or maximize their chances of a success at least. So stay tuned for both the blog post and that episode, and we'll be back next week. Thanks, Heidi. Hi, have a good week. Bye, guys. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Tube to Table podcast. Every week, we're going to share our show notes at thrivewithspectrum.com. In the show notes, you can find a summary of what we discussed and links to all the resources that we mentioned. Also, you can visit us on social media and Instagram and Facebook. We can be found at Thrive with Spectrum. And on Twitter, you can find us at Thrive with SP. Please don't hesitate to reach out to us on social media and let us know if you have any input or any topics that you'd really like to see us address. We'll be back next week.